I don't know. Do you mind if I interview you about Slackware a little bit? No. Go cool. ahead. All right. Well, let's. Okay. Well, hey everyone, this hey, is Clatu. <laughs> hey, what what are you doing here? When did you get here? An hour ago. Really? I, oh, I didn't know um, you were coming here. Cool. This is Pat, by the way. Hello. Pat Volkerdine, rather. Nice to meet you. This is Mako. She's a Debian dev yet, or not yet? No, I'm an Ubuntu dev. Yeah, and but I'm going through the application process for Debian maintainer. Maintainer. That's anything with the word developer or maintainer after it. I think you people know, you know, magical things. Okay. Do you like incense? Yeah, I do. Japanese, Indian? Indian is what I've um, mostly smelt. Alright, this, Japanese, Saijudo Shiragiku. Familiar with the ingredient Kayara? Do you know what that is? Mm. Okay, there is a type of tree. I don't remember the genus species, but it's an evergreen type tree that grows in uh, rainforests and in Indonesia, Thailand, okay. Cambodia. Uh, what happens is if the tree gets damaged somehow, it gets a fungal infection. And that works its way into the heartwood of the tree, where the tree fights back with extra resin production. Okay. And this battle goes on for centuries. It produces this core wood known as agar wood or aloes wood, and there is just nothing else that smells like when you burn this stuff. It is yeah. the most complex aroma. That's crazy. It's very, very unique. It's the majority of what the smell in this is. Oh, wait, this may be the wrong stick. Yeah? Yeah, this is uh, Kunmaido Rierio Co. Aloes Wood. It is an aloes wood, but it's a way lower grade than what I was trying to pull out of there. I'd gone to Kentucky and visited the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Oh, okay. And that was cool. It, it would have been closed, but I happened to show up just as Toyota was coming in with two buses that they'd chartered and had gotten an arrangement to have a tour of the place. And I just walked up to the crowd and followed them through. Nice. And, oh, wow. The, they've got this uh, warehouse that was built in 1881. It's got, uh, I think it might be 2,300 barrels. Maybe it was more than that, but it's five stories of open brick exterior and then just timber inside, yes. racks holding all these things. And uh, the smell of all of this whiskey evaporating through the barrels is just unbelievable. You get downwind of this building and it's like, wow. <laughs> Well, wait. So, but is it, does it smell like like whiskey? Then? Yeah. I mean, okay. So that's. Oh, uh, this smell is the stuff. This is the yeah. sajuda. It's hard to smell. Oh wow! Is, wow, that is. Uh, that's got like a sort of a weird, deep kind of yeah. like undertone, but then it's yeah. got like this sort of sweet thing Someone on top. Someone said or that uh, it smells hot without being spicy. Yeah. So how do you know about the instances? Do you, have you actually gone over there and like researched these trees, or are you just uh, reading uh, stuff off the back of reading, instance packages? Reading material online mostly. But, okay. Uh, it's it, it's a hobby that's been brewing for a long time. I, well, it's kind of cool to, to I know. I started burning frankincense back in the 80s, the raw oh, okay. resin occasionally, and okay. then went for a lot of years without... Uh, any incense, and then uh, I recently kind of got back into it because uh, I, I smoked for too many years and then quit in 2000. 
Okay. And occasionally I still get the fidgety habit. Right. And lighting a stick and just rolling it around like that, and I got something burning in my hand, and it satisfies my stupid habit. I have don't smoke cigarettes and don't yeah. you know, stay away from that, but uh, works for me. Well, see, that's cool because I I was never really sure if that incense, and I'm sure there is the fake incense, maybe, but I, I kind of always wondered if it was like I don't know real real stuff that I was burning, or if it was just like you know like uh, you know pr- produced yeah, like sort of like type. yeah yeah because yeah. there is there is a lot of the stuff is all pure raw ingredients that's and great. a lot of it is also perfume. Um, there are a few companies that very. Uh, deftly combine things like that. Uh, Diatsu is one of them. They make something called Tokus and Tonka that is a an incense containing French perfume. And normally I just do not like perfume at all. It gives right. me a headache. Yeah. And at first I hated the stuff, but then I started burning it outside and there was something about smelling it from 10, 15 paces away on, uh, on the wind. Than, that was yeah, an improvement. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it gets stuffy in the apartment or the house or whatever you're, yeah. you're if you try to do that. Sometimes they don't fade well either. I made yeah. the mistake of burning yeah. that uh, fenugreek stuff uh-huh. in the car because I oh, just okay. cleaned the car out and it's like, eh, it still has kind of a smell. So I put a stick in there, sealed it all up and let it burn out and then soak into the car. It was not a good result. Yeah. It took... It probably seemed like a really good idea It seemed time, like a good though. idea at the time, <laughs> yeah. but it didn't smell like incense. It smelled just like bad, stale smoke. It have went away ever, Have you ever smelled like just pure um, sage leaves, yeah. like dried sage? Yeah, that's really good. That's, that can be all right. Yeah. I, I, I was shooting a movie in... Um, in Oklahoma, and we met this guy, um, a Native American who knew just about every leaf that you could burn for a certain um, sort of experience or whatever. What's it called? Smudging. That's what it's called. Smudging is uh, burning, uh, ritually burning sage yes. bundles yeah, yeah. usually, yeah, and yeah. It's, they, sometimes it's used to dispel evil. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what he was talking about. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, yeah I, I've used that before, usually uh, along with a, a Tibetan chant, Hung uh, Vajra. I'll do things whether I believe they work or not. Yeah. Sometimes it is yeah. an interesting trick. That's that's a, a lot of magic has to do with just thinking it's gonna work. Yeah, yeah, true. So what about um, slackware? Oh yeah, slackware. <laughs> what? Um, how does that tie into this whole um, ritualistic burning of, of, of aromas? Oh well, uh, I do usually keep that going on my desk. There you go. See. So there is a tie, <laughs> and it's. Uh, and I guess part of how I ended up knowing about that still, the, you know, how the incense is made and whatnot. If something is compiling, I'm, I sometimes will not multitask and will go read stuff online. Yeah. And it, it didn't burn me out too much if I tried to utilize myself at 100% yeah, really. speed. Yeah, so. yeah. So I'll look at other stuff. And incense is a big interest and in music. Yeah. Uh, I should have brought my banjo here. Oh, that would have been cool. You play yeah, banjo. I play, Ooh, banjo. Play banjo. That'd be cool. I, I play, um, I don't play, but I'm trying to learn, like, some guitar. Yeah, I play guitar. Yeah? So. I mean, it's <laughs> Kind really, of a Garcia-ish noodling. Oh, you know. cool. It's like one of my, sort of my, actually, Garcia is kind of, I mean, I don't know that many guitar, like, rock guitarist I don't I'm not that much of an aficionado but like when I hear him doing the guitar I always kind of 
I can you, tell it's him. You can you know, only, and you, sometimes one note is all it takes. Yeah, and it's there's like something really, about the way he grabbed the string, and it's like, oh, yeah. oh, that's Jer. Yeah. But yeah, that is, uh, he's probably been my biggest guitar influence, and that's what I play is that noodly, lyrical. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Totally improvised as much as possible. I mean, that's the struggle that you continually have to play any type of jazz music is to purge uh, yourself of the canned riffs. Yeah, that yeah. You're just, you get lazy and emit them, and, and yeah. everyone does. You would hear Garcia do it, too. He sure. had a few things that he would fall back on, and whether he tried to avoid that or not, I don't know, but, yeah, it's, you know. Well, I mean, some of his jams are just unbelievably mm -hmm. just, like, I wish they would never end, you know? What just is... Like, you know, it's weird for me about the Dead and none of the other jam bands that ever really fully captured it for me uh -huh. is this feeling that they're not thinking any farther ahead than the note that they're on. And the whole band gets into the same headspace, yeah. and that is just it's odd. Pretty much, yeah, it, it really is. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've been interested in things like Jack as a possible addition, depending on yeah. how much uh, structure that would add. I'm yeah, not yeah. interested in the Pulse audio, but the Jack would be good to have. I have to say, it's really great doing multimedia on Slackware, and that's having come for me from Mac OS X as my main platform and then trying to find a Linux distribution that could do multimedia solid, you know, mm -hmm. and finding that, sure enough, it was Slackware, the little distro that I started with at, like, version, I think, 12.1 is my claim to fame. Um, so fairly new to it, but, you know, it's... Uh, it was a while ago. Yeah, actually, and that is something that I've been meaning, or I've been wondering about, I guess, because my impression is that Slackware releases uh, fairly infrequently, mm -hmm. so that it can remain stable and tried and true. Or is it more like because you don't multitask enough? No, it is. Uh, it is a case where uh, the the way that development occurs is that by its nature you have to start slowly. I mean, we're working right now towards Slackware next, yeah. and I'm, I want to get kernels up and stuff like that, but uh, you got to do the dangerous things early on and let yeah. them just kind of soak. Okay. And then, as it as, uh, you, you just can kind of feel that the release is coming. It's, yeah. it's a real in, in, intuition. I, I will not say at any point, oh, our next release will be uh, yeah. this November 14th. <laughs> We're going to put out Slackware 14.0. Right. I wouldn't do that because I don't know what the state of affairs will be, and there's really no way to predict something that Mad Dog said today that uh, it stuck with me is uh, it's just so much easier to swim downstream. And it's true. Yeah, you you yeah. could just fight the way everything is, yeah. is coming along and try to change it, but I, I try just not to. Yeah. And it is a, a case of, uh, by the end of the dev cycle, it's, it's a race to catch up and to keep caught up, and there is no way to do that early on. So yeah, yeah. So that's what happens. But this is so. This is your first uh, Southeast Linux yeah, Fest. Not, not um, here. What? What? Why are you here? Uh, Robbie and the other guys. I guess they're, they're excited about this. It's kind of the home turf. Yeah. There's uh, several slackers here who I have not met in person. I have not met V Bats. Yeah. David Samaro. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, so and, and uh, Dev Rob Zero, okay. people I never had FaceTime with, and that yeah. is an important thing. You can't do yeah, it, it all cool, behind right? a computer. Yeah, yeah. you gotta, gotta 
Gotta go and see people. Yeah. Do stuff. Yeah. I, mean, I this... haven't been to a Linux conference in a long time. Really? I went to the KDE thing in 2008. Do you know that I was actually there as well? But I was. Uh, I, w I had just gotten into Linux, I think, and I was way too shy to talk to people. So you and a podcaster named Chess Griffin, who I used to yeah. listen to a lot, yeah. SBOPKG, um, and I think someone else was there. Oh, Dave Yates, the guy who actually sort of is the mastermind of this festival. We and I was talked to you at the bar, or at least hung out in proximity. We, we, yeah, we, we very well may have, so it's kind of funny, but... Because it seems like I talked to almost everyone there. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. a large crowd, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. But I... That's the funny thing about, I guess, Linux, and I'm sure a lot of people say this a lot of times, but... You know, you've got these people who basically affect your daily life because you're using software that they have developed or a collection of software that they sort of put together for you. Mm -hmm. And they're normal people, you know, and they turn out not to be, like, intimidating or mean or, you know, yeah, or too famous to be bothered. You know? <laughs> Just like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to... You know, handle a lot of that, which is part of why I'll stay. I yeah. don't want to be told that. Oh, you, you've affected I my I life. Don't, yeah, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind it. I guess I, I am. I, I do like to hear someone say, you know, everything has been better and completely yeah. different because of this, and I never yeah. would have known about any of this. Yeah, yeah, it's so oh, pretty cool. The bats. Good you look gosh, happy. Not again. <laughs> <laughs> I just probably like I target you because I know you make some cringe jokes. Yeah, you see, I, I try to hide that, but it's only for the side right? factor. Where did you come up with the GPL version three shirt? Do they they have yeah, those free, here? Free it, dub, yeah, free dub. Was oh, Adam oh, oh, cool shirt. What is a back several years ago? In the CD block, a 72nd uh, of a second, I think it's something like that. One, divide, one over a 72, it's some weird thing is like it that. Really? Yeah, because I've had to write stuff to do uh, uh, splicing of things. Uh, I, I've done patches for old Grateful Dead shows where part of the soundboard got interrupted, and so you go looking for an audience tape. Right. And if the, if the recording is already out and already in flack, uh -huh. You do not want to disturb any more tracks well, than you have to. Yeah. So you take the one damaged track and you've got to fix it so that it does not change the sector length. Otherwise, it's going to make a pop as it goes sure. to the next track. Yeah, sure. Wow, that's cool. I did not know that. Do you have a, did you have you got any I guess patches or whatever like have you posted any of that stuff to like archive.org or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Like uh like 82293 Eugene, the dead forgot to start their recording from the board at the beginning of the show, and they did Here Comes Sunshine, which starts out with this a cappella intro, and knowing that there was, I didn't, I didn't want to tape from the crowd that night because it's it gets burdensome sometimes, but I set up a. Dat to tape their FM broadcast, and that turned out to be the best. It, it was recorded there in Eugene off the local station. It didn't have any kind of a, a relay that was terribly far, and it was very good quality. So good that when I, I put this patch on, I sent the the one track back and was like, "Here, I got a fix for you." And they're like, "Where did you get this?" Well, I patched it from my FM. We couldn't even hear the patch. The guy said it was the cleanest. It was. I, I, I 
probably threw away a bit more of the board tape than I could have. I, I chopped about 10 seconds of their board signal away to find a better place to hide the splice. Yeah, as long as the splice got hidden, I mean, that's okay. It's not missing anything. It ended up taking 10 more seconds from FM, but it worked out. Yeah, that's cool. There's a Stella Blue recording. I think it was with Jerry Garcia Band. And it's like 16 minutes long. If you ever yeah. encounter that, well, <laughs> that's the one to listen to. I, I don't remember Jerry Band doing Stella, but it's possible. It might not be. It, it might have just been the dead. I, I was there for the last performance of Stella Blue, and that version, uh, June 28th of 95 in uh, St. Louis, somewhere near St. Louis, <laughs> he has the most emotional, almost breakdown at the end of the song, more so than usual. He really went with it. It wow. was like, wow. Yeah, that's a, wow. that, yeah, that's really cool. Shivers down the spine just to think about that. Yeah, and it's weird because I don't even... A lot of very odd moments on that last tour, the really? tour from hell. Yeah. And yeah. we all somehow, I think we knew this was coming. Yeah. I think that uh, there was there was a realization. Another thing that is very odd is that as early as the mid-80s, there was some sort of understanding among the Deadheads that there was going to be at the last show they would do Unbroken Chain and the, the last song they would ever play was Box of Rain. And we knew that. I don't yeah. know how we knew that, yeah. but we were right. <laughs> they had never played... Uh, Unbroken Chain Live. It came out in 1973 and they started playing it early in 95. Wow. It did get played at the last show. They, the, the last Jerry song for the encore was uh, Black Muddy River, which is also, you know, almost like it is almost like, okay, I have to go off to die now. A very yeah, strange. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Phil just takes him into Boxer Rain. They almost never did a double encore, and they did. And yeah. So it's like weird yeah, that is stuff interesting. that yeah, and I, yeah. I later tried to go see, and it was like, did anyone write this down in advance, or did was this just like some Something bit of collective folklore like, sort of that like, yeah, we all knew yeah. and that, that we can't prove we knew this ahead of time? Well, <laughs> right. we can't. But. Do you remember if there was what, what else was going on at that time? Like what was going on in the with the world? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or was this just a Grateful Dead thing? Like, was it just the Grateful Dead oh, coming to an end or whatever? Well, yeah. Or, For me, the the period of time that strikes me as world novelty and everybody seems to have some kind of agreement when I've talked about this is spring of 96 I don't know what happened then but odd stuff occurred in spring of 96 do you know much about the uh, well, I'm sure by now you could not possibly have avoided this 12-21-12 thing well naturally right yeah we were following that in the 80s as well, and oh, really? a book that was out then called The Invisible Landscape that okay. was uh, written by Dennis McKenna and uh, Terence McKenna and talks about how they discovered somehow, they, they had gone down to Brazil, went to the, the rainforest, and with the natives did some sort of native psychedelic mushrooms for like a month. They just remained, and they said that they had 
conversations with an alien insectoid intelligence who oh, wow. told them about this 122112 thing <laughs> and that it it was actually because time does not run in the direction we think it does well, and that that's, that's where cool. it, that's where the beginning point is and that it's emanating backwards and why that would be i can't think of any good reason for that uh, but then then it's okay, so now I'm going to prove it to you, and here's how it works. And shows them all of this math and the, all of the hexagrams of the I Ching. Have you ever used that or heard much about that? Well, I mean, Philip K. Dick wrote the whole uh, man in the high tower based on, on the I Ching. He okay. actually let that guide the story. Oh, so like he a, would ask the I Ching where yes, the story was yes. to go. Well, that would probably work really well. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't bother the oracle unless I have a real question because it tends to give you your answer whether you like it or not and yeah. I don't yeah. think I've ever had that fail on me. Yeah, wow. But uh, yeah, the, the, the something about the sequence of the normal King Wen, Wen sequence of hexagrams then can be made into this wave. And when superimposed, and this 12-21-12 thing is weird too, because that was another spring of 96. This is going to get me in trouble talking about this crap, but spring of 96, no, I don't care. Okay. Spring of 96, uh, I'm not quite sure what happened to me, but I went like temporarily nuts, and I came up with that same date having never really, you know, paid attention. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that The Invisible Landscape as a book came to my attention around then, really. It was a friend of mine who was reading it back from the 80s and whatnot and yeah. brought it to my attention like in April or May of 96 after I'd already been toying with that and had, had thought that there was something weird too about 12, 21, 12 that there's only two numbers and it's almost like half-assed binary and had begun to look at it. Uh, well, no, point. it's really 011001 uh, <laughs> which is what... Uh, I think that's what uh, Bender rattles off in the. Is it? Zero one one zero zero one zero one one zero zero one. Yeah. The whole concept of that, the time wave zero, is that uh, novelty is some sort of an essential force of the universe, the opposite of entropy, okay. and it it comes like and goes like a tide, and as. As the wave approaches the zero line, things get stranger, and as it goes back up, things get more normal and follow old patterns. When they took this thing, they didn't know quite where to apply it, and they started looking for uh, historical events to, to match it, to figure out where to put this thing, and yeah. found... Uh, you know, huge dips around like the end of World War II when the bombs got dropped, uh -huh. and all of it ended up leading to this date. And then there's that whole Mayan connection to it. Right, that, right. And that was something I used when uh, I should have saved that. But Slackware uh, 13.0, if you look in the Slackware version, yeah. etc. Slackware version, it says it's version 13.0.0.0.0. That's the uh, that is the Mayan date for the rollover after oh, okay. 12 21 12. I did not know that. <laughs> my, uh, my GPG key also expires on 12 21 12. I've had no that way. key Come for on, like. Give me a break. I've had that key since 98 or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I had to. I had to figure out how to force PG or GPG to generate that so that it would expire on that day. <laughs> so do you think that time is linear? Uh, I mean, you personally. 
I'm not sure if I believe in time and okay, any that's, yeah. fashion that, uh, in a lot of ways, it's an illusion yeah. caused by, you know, our motions and whether whether there even is such a thing other than the present moment. I'm not yeah. sure I'm convinced of. Yeah. Well, did you ever hear that? Um... But maybe I am. Maybe, in fact, I would think almost of time and space as we know it as really being like a crystal that is very solid and does not move. It just looks like it to yeah, us yeah. from our perspective of being in different parts of it. I don't know what it, I guess sort of a mantra, I guess, or something, but it's like um, to, uh, what is it? Probably. To move is to suffer, or movement, oh. through movement comes oh, suffering, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. The inverse of that, basically. Being still actually avoids suffering. And I always thought that that was like incredibly simple if you just take it for what it says mm -hmm. and although I am translating it so I don't know exactly what it says but at least to my English ears it sounds like movement causes suffering and, and it, it makes sense if everything is if, still no if, one suffers if you ignore all sensory input and manage to still your thoughts that yeah. is an extremely extremely interesting place yes and it is infinite vast, without suffering. I haven't actually been able to get quite in. There's a certain level of voidness that is very difficult to achieve, and I think my meditation would have to go a lot farther. It is not existing and also not not existing. You have to be between those two states and, and well, you, really you, undefined. Well, do you focus on, like, a single points when you're meditating or do you like when, focus on the when I have had success it is a lack of focus it is ah, letting okay. go of your thoughts it is like a relaxation of your mind and yeah. like your hand twitching around like this just finally going ah and just letting it stop it's not for me even possible to reach a point where I don't have consciousness, but it has been possible to reach a point where that is all there is, and there is no character to it other than its simple existence. It kind of makes me think that maybe the consciousness that we all have is emerging out of a shared baseline, that we're sort of players for the consciousness of reality. We're like a tape deck moving along and playing the latent background noise. Which is aware of itself. Now that I like. Latent background noise. Because yeah. I love latent background noise. Because like we were saying earlier, the really, sound of rain, the My notion of physics and metaphysics, it's not impossible to conceive that all of this happens exactly the way it was, but there is no consciousness and no one is really watching. The old Cohen about the tree. Yeah, if a tree yeah. falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? Yeah. No, because it doesn't even exist. It has to be observed. Nothing can happen in the whole universe without some observation. At least this is where I'm getting, I think, my uh -huh. understanding of reality. I think a rock is at least conscious of being a rock and sits there in kind of a similar state to some of the meditation I would try for and hope to get. I mean, to actually get things to quiet, just really quiet, maybe half a dozen times I've pulled that off. Mm -hmm. I've had uh, a 
one time I had a very vivid vision of a goddess, like, uh, it was like an elephant goddess, like a female Ganesha wearing these flowing robes that were covered in text that looked very much like Hindi. Okay. and was in constant motion. It was constantly rewriting itself, and even though I couldn't read it, I could. It was all beaming some information straight into my brain. Wow. And, yeah, it was a very odd thing. I was just trying to get the quiet again. I ended up someplace and that's that not, was very strange. Yeah, and, and that's and that's a, not quiet because you're getting information. Interaction with something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know in Hinduism of an elephant goddess. I did try to look online and found at least one other person describing what sounded like the exact same thing. If you can really get all of the synapses of this quit I have to think that that space has got some tangent to death. Yeah. How does it work? Yeah. And I guess that in a way, uh, efforts are, it's kind of a similar to <laughs> It's like reality. To get in it's like if you know if you were a computer and you were running Linux, how could you figure that out? If you're interested in something, you should be exposed to it. Yeah, my dad had a cool. lot of connections with people at universities in the area. But yeah, they had uh, some sort of a PDP running an early BSD over there. And it had the, the whole lineup of the BSD games. And this guy brought me to see the computer. And yeah. I got to play with lasers, holograms, go see the computing facilities at all the different universities. But especially play with a Unix command line at the age of like six or seven. <laughs> And after that, I got more into, you know, more personal computer type. Yeah. Built a calculating device based on relays when I was in third grade that had toggles to set this off and could be hardwired with a program. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that ended up getting into the uh, science fair that was for much older children than going all the way to state, but not winning there, but having them go, huh, oh, what, what happened? I'll bet they regret it now, they, not letting well, me win. There was some jealousy that this kid was there because uh, at some point before the event, uh, someone went in and pulled all the wires off the top. Oh, are you serious? Yep. So I came back to my thing, and, so and it was it's, like it's, its hard actually. code was gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah. erased it. <laughs> but, In the worst oh, of ways. Well, <laughs> yep, it was erased. For sure. And uh, well, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, right. And. I had an Atari 2600, oh, yeah. was interested in that, I guess, uh, wanted to get things like the basic programming thing, wanted to get a Timex Sinclair at the point when those first came out, it was like, you want a computer for $99, that was like the greatest deal in the world, but uh, ended up with an Apple II. Oh, okay. I uh, still have it. Nice. It's, uh, it was overclocked from 1 to 10 megahertz. <laughs> so I got into all that, but I always liked Unix. I actually ended up running something called Hyper-C on the Apple II that okay. had a Unix-like command line environment and an integer C compiler. Oh, wow, okay. And so that kept me as yeah. well, with, you know. So, so was it? I mean, it was a real C compiler. Yeah. That would, like, it oh, was okay. well. It was not. It was. I mean, not standard. It was integer C. It couldn't handle floating point at all, oh, okay, and it okay. had to you know, only have subset of uh, 
of the functions, but you okay. could do programming with it. Yeah, which, yeah. You know, it was interesting. Oh, cool. And it was a, a compiled language, which was rare to have a true compiled language yeah. in yeah. Apple II. Yeah, yeah. Uh, almost everything was interpreted, even the, so the so-called compiled things were usually a P system or something. And oh, okay. would compile to P code and then run that in a P code interpreter. Okay. But yeah, when I got to, uh, yeah, like my second or third college, the one I finally graduated from, uh, one of my profs in an artificial intelligence class uh, had us using Lisp, and I hated the Lisp interpreter that he had for us to use, which was for DOS, and it was just oh. garbage. Yeah. And that was my initial interest in Linux. I'd already been kind of interested about it. I heard about it at a Christmas party at a screen printing company in uh, December of 92 and, okay. and went that's when going, it kind of when it first came hmm, out yeah 91 was but by then it was beginning to work yeah okay and okay. HJ Lewis boot root disk was available then uh, early versions of SLS were out yeah and that was what I ended up uh, pulling down MCC Plus, Tamu, SLS, a bunch of these different early distributions, okay. and trying them out. Better up. names back then than now, yeah. heck. Well, Tamu was just because the people developing it were at Texas A&M. Oh, okay. Uh, MCC because it was the Manchester Computing Club in, okay. in right. England. Okay. That started to make a little bit more sense. Yeah, but uh, so I needed something that could do Lisp, and okay. uh, SLS shipped with C Lisp. So I was like, all right, I'm in business, okay. and pulled that down, and then started poking around the environment and discovered, you know, uh, that it was trouble. It didn't want to install right. It didn't. It had all these other problems. And uh, it was him telling me, you know, I'd really like to be able to give the people in my class this and say, here, use this as a, as a Lisp. It's a, yeah. a better Lisp and yeah, closer yeah. to common Lisp and so on. And it's like, but it doesn't want to install and it's got all these bugs. And I'm like, let me see what I can do about that. Nice. And yeah, and by the time that I was like, here, here you go. You can, it's ready to go. You can have it. And, uh, then. Other people are going to want this. I should just, you know, put it up for FTP or something. Right, yeah. and, and would not ever have thought that, uh, yeah. you know, I would then... And then we'll continue to work on it for 17 years. Yeah, and, oh, really. I, I thought, know. That's the bizarre thing. I thought that I'm going to put this out and... Uh, I really thought that Peter McDonald of SLS was going to go, oh, I better diff my stuff against this and find these fixes and roll them in. But right. it never really happened. And, huh. Uh, quickly, I had people who were like relying on me. It became a support issue very early on. That people needed wow. help and they needed it to keep working. And yeah. you better keep doing this because we need this. Wow, that is and so. I was like, okay, I guess I, you know, my calling has found me. <laughs> so was so. I mean, you don't do Lisp much anymore, I'm sure. No, yeah. not really. So it was just C Lisp that you were working on. Yeah. Okay. And uh, was Emacs not? Or I mean, that, Emacs, when I think of Lisp, of yes. course, I think of Emacs. So, I, I, mean, like, I don't even think it ever occurred to me to try to use Emacs, okay. or even I, I'm not entirely sure how to execute uh, Lisp within Emacs. I'm really not much of an Emacs user. Okay. But uh, in fact, I'm not even a Vim user. I use Elvis, which is why that's still linked to VI. I, was I don't. Why I don't want uh, something to color things in really? and I also don't like uh, occasionally if I'm having a problem and I really cannot find it visual inspection I will load it into Vim to see what Vim has to say about uh -huh. it but um, see there 
but Vim also has a habit of sometimes picking up my keystrokes and going into weird modes I don't understand. Yeah. And, and VI is more like, or Elvis is more like the old VI I remember, so. What about you? Are you an Elvis, a VI, or a Emacs? Vim. Vim. Yes. I mean, VBATS, Vim. See, now, VBATS thinks I should change that sim link. Well, here's the deal. I most people Elvis probably most think I should change no, that actually, sim link. Actually, I like the sim link. Do you really? I like, I like. I do the only thing that I'm, I'm, is the default. I just don't need. I don't need the, the, the stuff in. I think I've got a box. I know there's a box somewhere that that actually just has Vim. It's one of my ARM machines. But if you, I forget exactly what I have to look at the config. But you can set your Vim RC that it behaves more sanely than that default that we yeah. ship. It's it's more like a traditional VI. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't sometimes, it doesn't get you into those well, sometimes modes you don't need all the syntax or highlighting and the auto Didn't I just the ship the real deal? I think I did have NVI in there bats, maybe an extra years ago. Probably before my maybe it's yeah. Yeah. set compatible. I don't know. Yeah, it could be just said. So, um, are they still like Chad Wallenberg out? Is, uh, did the education in open source? He was all <laughs> giddy over there. He's like, I'm staring at a rock god, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the Intel. The, the dude with the Lucky Charms shirt. Mm -hmm. uh, no, um, yeah, that's Wait, the guy. He's like, it's like the Intel USB commercial. He's, he's really mostly a normal person. You're, you're a famous, famous person. Like Everyone is a famous a person in their own movie. <laughs> and so I was scared to come over here. I, I didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I might have had a little bit of it. I don't understand how you're so young. That's my big thing. I expected like a... Uh, Why, how, how, old are you? how old do you think I am? Slacker has been around since like, what, like 1963 or something? Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe Huh? Are you still recording this? I wouldn't have said anything. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, I you know how I edit. Chad. I, I don't. How you I, I don't. I don't represent reality. I don't. You don't have actually. Uh, I'm just a random person who uh, I had Patrick send this to me. I'm glad I was still recording that. Actually. <laughs> I knew you were. Like the first time I heard this, I, I mean I I don't think I've ever heard the the same that that sound quality mm -hmm. except maybe like you say from a DAT, but yeah. then I've never had a DAT a portable DAT out in the world, so naturally it's going to sound good in the studio, and then you're like, you know, this thing you can just carry around. Yeah, I totally. had. Uh, I had mics made by a place called Core Sound. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Mm -mm. Uh, the guy makes uh, bullet mics. They're in uh, 22 casings and and have little alligator clips in the back of them, and you can uh, you know put them on your hat and manage to stealth record that yeah, way. Nice. But they're very high quality. It's got a uh, the well the good ones are the the cheap ones don't have any battery box, but the good one has got phantom power. Nice. And the mics are just you know, no real self-noise to speak of. Yeah. I took that thing and set it out next to a pond in upstate New York where there were about a bazillion bullfrogs doing their thing and oh, let it man. take. And that is, that is an interesting recording to put on. It's like you're just in the middle of it.
broken angel sings from a guitar.
there's nothing you can hold for very long. Listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All Binref projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. 
from shared hosting to custom private clouds. Go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.